0: I love a good underdog story. How about you? (laughs) I mean, uh, the underdog story is one that's repeated in our society because after all, we came out of the ultimate underdog story as a nation, As as a bunch of revolutionaries, we gave it to the British Empire baby, right? We, we, we came out of an underdog story. And so that's kind of woven into the fabric of our society. That's told in numerous ways across various genres. Uh, everybody loves a good underdog story. And I'm sorry, man, I am burning up. Whew, is anybody else hot? Just uh, so let's put this here. Okay, sorry. I love an underdog story. <laughs> and if you're not a football fan, number one, you should repent. Number two, today, the mighty Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the mighty Cincinnati Bengals play a football game. They play a football game. Yes. Go Bucs. I, I know, I know, I know. But I have to tell you, all right, if you, if, if you would have like prophesied to me, 30 years ago, that in 2022, the Bucks and the Bengals would be playing a meaningful football game, I would have called you a liar. Because the Bucs need this game to, to stay in first place and the Bengals need this game to stay in first place. And the fact that this game actually means something is ridiculous. Because... The Bucks and the Bengals are historically not just bad, pathetically bad. You may not know this, okay, if you're new to football, let me break it down for you. The Bucks' very first season back in the 70s, they went 0 for 14. Now, if you're not familiar with football, that's bad, okay? That's really, really bad. Uh, their opening campaign was one of the worst in NFL history, okay. They were by far the worst team in the league from 1983 to 1980 or 1996. Now they had the best uniforms with the orange creamsicle jerseys, am I right? But not the, not the best team, right, it was bad, bad, bad. Okay, and you say, well, what happened from that point forward? Well, let me tell you what happened from that point forward. The Cincinnati Bengals picked up the mantle of the worst team in the league. And from 1991 to 2004, the Bengals were an object of futility. Many of those years, we had the worst team in the league, the worst record by far. We had several one or two win seasons. And so literally from like 1991 to 2004 okay like the bucks and the Bengals were the laughing stock of the NFL and then lo and behold over these past few years the tables have turned and the underdogs have risen to be the top dogs and the bucks win the super bowl right bucks win the super bowl with the goat is awesome. The Bengals go to the Super Bowl. We don't win Super Bowls, but we went to the Super Bowl, okay? I'm from Cincinnati if you're new to Bell Shoals, all right? And so today, the fact that they play a meaningful game is like almost ridiculous. And so I'll be cheering for the Bucks to score one less point than the Bengals today, all right? Sorry, I know, I love the Bucks. My family, we're all, we cheer them on every week. We're all in, like, but today, I just, I gotta go with my hometown team. And and uh, it's pretty cool. So let me get this, I'm getting some really angry looks from some of you people. So I'm gonna put this back on, all right. Got people leaving the first service, go box. You know, like they don't even remember what we talked about. Okay, so it's a pretty crazy story. Underdogs, two underdogs, kind of they've risen to the top. Now, now here's, here's why I mentioned that, okay. Like that's something that is fairly unique to our society, this whole underdog thing. Like it's pretty unique. It's pretty unique to us, okay? Like like for example, do you know, do you know who didn't have underdogs? The society into which Jesus was born? there were no underdogs. There was no notion that you could start in one place, maybe in poverty, uh, maybe in a broken family, and then somehow, work your way out of that into a meaningful life and career and all the rest. In other words, the American dream scarcely exists outside of America historically. And if you go back to the, to the Christmas story. And I don't mean that as a fictitious story. I mean that as like history, okay? Like if you go back to what happened 2,000 years ago with the events surrounding the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, what you find is a culture and a society that did not have underdogs. There was no such thing. And so I want to make sure when you read the Christmas story, as we think about it this week, you don't take your current society and project it back into Jesus' society. Totally different. There was no one in Jesus' day who was cheering on Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember, they were this older couple that would give birth to John the Baptist who would be the forerunner of Jesus, okay? Who would kind of announce Jesus's public ministry, okay? This guy, John the Baptist, if you recall, was born to an older couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth who were in their 60s at least and who miraculously have a son, okay? There was no one prior to the birth of John the Baptist who was cheering on Zechariah and Elizabeth saying, oh yeah, come on, go Zechariah and Elizabeth. Come on, have that baby. You can do it. (laughs) No, they were seen with a stigma. Oh, well, Zechariah is a priest and Elizabeth seems like a wonderful lady, but you know what? Like they can't have a child. And so clearly this is how people would have thought of them. Clearly they are carrying some type of, secret sin so that God is judging them. There was no underdog story. There was no one secretly cheering them on. Their whole lives would have been viewed with a stigma. And then last week, we talked about this girl named Mary, right? As in Mary and Joseph, as in Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary from Nazareth. Joseph from Nazareth is this This small town with only a few hundred people in it, all poor, Mary, probably illiterate, as most were in Nazareth, um, farming community that 's what they did and back in that day and time, you did whatever your parents did. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. There was no American dream, there was no escaping your family 's dysfunction and and then there were on top of that there there there, there was this like bad theological framework through which people viewed each other. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, yep, some hidden secret sin, God's judging them. That's why they can't have a child. Mary and Joseph, this couple from Nazareth, like, like a stigma attached to them. Like there is, this is what people said during that day and time. There is nothing good that comes out of Nazareth. And then on top of that now, you've got probably, probably a 14, 15 year old girl who's pregnant out of wedlock with a man to whom she's engaged. And most of the world, we're not hoping for an underdog story that didn't exist. Most of the world would have seen Mary as a sinful woman who has embarrassed her family, her parents, and now Joseph and his family and no one was cheering Mary on saying, okay, go Mary, you can overcome this. And this is the immediate context of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, that Nazareth. No underdog story, no one's cheering anyone else on. Mary and Joseph carried a stigma. Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth carried a stigma, but yet God's gonna take these humble people from humble circumstances and he's gonna change the world through them. And it's a reminder to us that everything connected with the Christmas story is ultimately about God's mercy and grace. It's not because there's any of us who deserve the grace that God has brought to us. It's not because any of us deserve the, the wonder that God has revealed to us. No. How, how has God gone about bringing his son into the world who will get salvation to it? Well, it's through the most, literally like the most humble of circumstances. Through people with with a stigma attached to them, through people from nowheresville, right? God's working in such a way that now 2,000 years later, we're able to look back and see, oh yeah, it's God who is the ultimate hero of human history. And that's good news for you and me. And what's incredible to me in that context where Zechariah and Elizabeth are like wrestling now with, with this pregnancy, now now, where we have Mary having to tell Joseph and her immediate family about her pregnancy, right? Like, 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 like what we've seen in the past couple weeks is that Mary, when, when she learns of what's gonna happen, she receives this word with such incredible faith. Remember what Mary said? Let me show it to you if you weren't here last week. Mary said to the angel Gabriel who visited her, I am the Lord's servant and may everything that you have said about me come true. In other words, Mary's like, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. I know I have the favor of God. I know that's gonna mean the disfavor of everyone else in my life, but may it happen to me as you have said, I'm in. And, and I just, I, I told you last week, okay, there are some people who make too much of Mary. They think she can forgive sin and they pray to her and that's just not appropriate, right? Like that's not Mary's role. Mary's not our savior, Jesus is, but there are also some who make too little of Mary. She is, after all, the mother of Jesus. And when she gets this word about what's gonna happen to her, I just want you to see, she receives it with such incredible faith. She knows what this means for her. She knows that she's not gonna be some underdog. She's gonna be an embarrassment to her family. But she says, God, I believe in you. God, I trust you. God, I trust your plan for my life. And the fact that you've chosen to bring the Savior of the world, through me and my family is amazing. And may it happen just as you have said. And and, and Mary has incredible faith. She has a faith that Zechariah did not have when the angel visits him. And the angel says to Zechariah, your wife's gonna have a baby. And he's like, my wife ain't having no baby. And remember Gabriel says, no, your wife is gonna have a baby because you don't believe your wife's gonna have a baby. Now you're not gonna be able to talk until that baby is born. To which Elizabeth's like, thank you, angel. Thank you. (laughs) And unlike Zechariah, Mary has this amazing faith. And she says, yeah, let it be as you have said. You and I see her as like this incredible underdog, if you will, right? Like this young girl from Nowersville in the most humble of circumstances. That's not how she was viewed in her day. And yet she says, Lord, I'm in. And so let me show you what happens next. Cause this is so cool. So, so remember Mary and Elizabeth are relatives and, and Mary gets this word, not only that she's gonna have the Messiah, right? She's gonna carry in her womb, the savior of the world. She's also told that her relative Elizabeth also already pregnant. And so here's what happened. Let me show you, this is in Luke's gospel who researched all this and gave this record to us. He says, now when the angel left her a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah and Elizabeth were. And she entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your children child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. And then she says this, I love this, you are blessed, Mary, because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And I don't think Elizabeth meant it this way, but in my mind, I just can't help but to think like is sitting there and his lazy boy and he can't talk, and he hadn't been able to talk. And I can't help but to think that Elizabeth's there and she's saying, <clears throat> blessed is Mary who believed that the Lord would do what he said he would do. Isn't that right, honey? Oh, you can't talk. <laughs> I don't think she meant it that way, but I just can't help but to think, like there's a little point to be made, right? That, that wonderful blessing, oh, Mary, you are blessed because you have believed that the Lord would do what he said. And it really is amazing when you look at Mary's faith. Elizabeth just recognizing that despite sometimes our circumstances – Despite opposition, despite misunderstanding, our God is faithful to do all that he's promised to do. He's faithful. And so then Mary responds in this way. Let me show you Mary's response. She says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, she's overwhelmed by this thought, All generations will call me blessed. She will be the mother of the long awaited Messiah. And here we have the answer to the age old question Mary, did you know that your baby boy? Yes, she knew! Will y'all stop singing that crazy song? She knew, all right? No offense to Mark Lowry and Michael English, okay? She knew, boys. You've made enough money on that song. Stop singing it, all right? Now, I'm just kidding. It's a beautiful song. Okay, keep, keep singing it, all right? Keep sing- but, but when you sing it, just every time, Mary, did you know? In the back of your head, you be, yes, That's your baby boy, yes. (laughs) Just hear that whisper of the Holy Spirit saying to you, yeah, she knew. (laughs) And, And what we discover in Mary is what we discover in everyone who's connected to the ministry of Jesus. There's a growing understanding of what he would do. But at this point in her life, right, overwhelmed with now what God's doing with Elizabeth and her, she, she, she understands enough to know that, that God's gonna bring the Messiah through her. And for all generations, people will call her blessed. And in her praise, you guys, I just want you to see, okay, her focus is on the Lord. Not her circumstances, not like what his blessing is going to mean for her circumstantially. Sometimes I think We praise God when we have circumstantial reason to do so, and we question God when we don't. And Mary here, in her praise, is praising God for who he is, because he is good and faithful 100% of the time. I, I told you last week that the favor of God for Mary necessarily involved the disfavor of others, Her circumstances were about to change for the worse. She's about to announce a pregnancy out of wedlock. She's gonna face being disowned by her family. She's gonna carry the scorn of this awkward pregnancy for the rest of her life. I told you last week that through Jesus's ministry, there are people who sought to undercut him by calling him illegitimate, meaning he came from an illegitimate pregnancy. And so you might wonder, right, like how can Mary praise God in this way, even though circumstantially, like a lot of things are about to change for the worst. And I'll tell you how, because when your praise rests in the God who never changes and in the God who is always good, you can find reason for rejoicing in every season. This is why James, the brother of Jesus years later wrote, and he said to the church, give joy, right? Rejoice when you face trials of various kinds, because you can rejoice and have joy in every season and circumstance, because the source of your joy is not circumstantial, the source of your joy is the goodness and mercy of God himself. And that never changes, right? And look at Mary now, she's, she knows what she's gonna face. So there has to have been thought given to what she's gonna say to others. She has to understand the weight and the gravity that she would never be viewed as an underdog story with her peers. But yet she says, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, not her circumstances. Can I just say it this way? She's rejoicing not because of what God was giving to her circumstantially, but because what God had become to her personally. And the same is true for every single one of us who know and love God through the person of Jesus. We rejoice ultimately, not because of all that's given to us circumstantially, but because of who God has become to us personally. And she delights in the Lord, even though she knows she's called to carry a very heavy burden. I mean, I think just of the burden of raising a child that's always in the right Like I have enough difficulty as a parent, just like, you know, like, oh man, I'm imperfect, right? <laughs> There's many times I have to apologize for me, you know? And then like, I can't imagine, like at least I get to counterbalance that with the stupidity of my kids. And I can say, well, at least I'm not as bad as you. <laughs> right, like Mary, like, like just raising a child, he's like, he's sinless, right? Like he's, he's, he's teaching the experts in the temple at a young age. And Mary's like, oh yeah, well, there he goes again. I mean, there was never a time where Mary said, Jesus, how many times have I told you? Like, never happened. <laughs> I mean, just the burden to me, yet she understood that to. That to to walk with the Lord and fulfill his purpose for her life was a privilege and a joy. And and no matter what that meant for her, that others would have viewed negatively or wrongly, okay? She just understood that that, that God is good, his plans are perfect, And, and therefore she's overwhelmed. She says this, I mean, my goodness, she says, Father, that you would take notice of me, a lowly servant girl from Nazareth. Isn't it neat how God works so profoundly in the world through ordinary people? You might be sitting here today, and you're like, I don't know if God could ever use me. Uh, I beg to differ respectfully. He could use you in amazing ways. You know what the great apostle Paul said? I mean, we view him as great. <laughs> Many of his contemporaries did not. Paul said, you know, this is how God works in the world. He, he chooses the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. And he says, just look at us. There aren't many of us of royal birth. There aren't many of us who are ultra educated. There aren't many of us who the world regards as something special, but yet God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. This is the wisdom of God. Do you remember, I mean, even before Mary, we see this in Mary, how God's working and she's overwhelmed by this, that he worked with this lowly servant girl from Nazareth all places, right? This is how he's working. And do you, do you remember before Mary, like another key figure that's important for, for the lineage of Jesus, by the way, King David. King David was not born King David. Do you remember the great King David? He's like, a she- he's, he's like a shepherd. He's like a nobody, right? In fact, when, when God works through the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel, he goes to David's father, Jesse. He says, hey, you got any boys? I think you might have some boys here that might be eligible to serve as king one day. I'm looking to anoint the next king. And, and David's father's like, well, actually, yes, I do. I have seven sons. Well, let me, let, me, let me bring my son. So he goes to meet Samuel, brings his boys with him. All of them except David, that is, who was the youngest. And Samuel's rolling through the boys, okay? I, I, this is like some awkward, like uh, reality TV show or something like, come through. Yep, no, I don't think he's gonna cut it. Well, let me show, I've got another son. Yeah, no, he ain't it. Yeah, no, no man, look at that guy. No, okay, no, goes through. Samuel's like, hey, don't you have another son? Well, I do, but like he's back tending the sheep and stuff, like I ain't, he didn't even bring him. <laughs> Like I know every one of our kids thinks that we favor the others. Like that was actually true for David. Like there was no misunderstanding David's place in the family. His father did not even bring him to uh, Jerusalem's Got Talent. (laughs) Right? He didn't even bring him. Samuel has to say, don't you have another son? Are you talking about David? Man, David's scrawny, He's skinny, he's like, weird looking he's got a pointy nose in my mind it helps me feel better about my life okay I'm just saying like David yeah and you know what happens David ends up being the warrior king of Israel the greatest king Israel ever knew and the one who's a forerunner to the messiah and God, God, didn't, God, God didn't use, he didn't bring the messianic line, right, in some profound way through some other like mighty, oh yeah, every, it makes sense we would choose him, like Saul, by the way. Oh, no, 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 no. The messianic line and the throne on which the Messiah will rule and reign is David. And so when you sit there and think, I don't know that God can use me, I beg to differ. It is our God who uses the Marys and the Davids to bring great glory to himself. And Mary's overwhelmed by this. Mary's rejoicing in this, even though she knows what it means for her. And she concludes in this way. So let me, let me, let me bring it to a close in this way. Here's what she says. She says, for the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me great things, Mary. No one else is going to see these as great things. Mary understands. No, he's done great things for me. And here it is. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm, I love this, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He's brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered, here it is again, that he is merciful to be merciful for he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And the implication is he's faithful to fulfill what he promised. Oh man, this is the Lord faithful to his word, faithful to his promises. He's bringing it to pass through humble people and humble circumstances. And he's reminding us time and time again, that this is all about not our prowess, power, education, Skill. This is about the mercy of God to save a people who don't deserve it. And she says it's the mighty one who has done these great things who has shown mercy from generation to generation and whose mighty arm has brought these things to pass. You know what Mary's leaning into here? The fact that there is no king, there is no ruler, there is no nation, there is no government, and there are no circumstances that can stop the plan and the purpose of God in your life and mine. Amen, right, there is nothing, there is nothing. It is the strong arm of God that will bring his plan and purpose to pass. Oh, Rome, the Jews are under Roman oppression. Oh, no, 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 no. The Roman Empire will not stop the plan and the purpose of God. Oh, King Herod, killing the firstborn sons of so many in order to expel the Messiah. No, no, no. He will not prevail. Pharaoh and the greatest nation at the time during the days of Moses. Oh, that Pharaoh oppressing the people of God. Oh no, no, no. The Egyptian army and all of its might will not thwart the plan and the purpose of God. Mary says his strong arm will prevail. And I think today of the, rulers and the powers and the governments and the influences that exist in the world today. And there are moments where you think, "Daggon it, I don't know that God is really ruling and reigning. And how's this going to happen? And when's the Lord? Let me tell you something. The Lord is in complete control. Yes. He is in complete control. Yes. His strong arm will bring his plans and his purposes to pass. And he will bring his people Into eternal rest when I think of strong arm I actually think of something that happened this week (laughs) I was with my wife and my children we were huddled together and there was someone that was threatening us and when this person approached I took my strong arm and I pushed them away to the side and when I moved my arm over to the side I heard ow why did you hit me And I woke up from my dream (laughs) to the sound of my wife's voice yelling at me for striking her with my strong arm. And I said, Sweetheart, I am defending you. You should be grateful. Oh, she was not grateful in that moment. (laughs) But I want you to know as your pastor, you can have this confidence in me. And I don't mean to brag, but this is true. I am undefeated in dream fights. I am undefeated, baby. And there was one this week. And I don't know who the attacker was, but he got a little taste of my strong arm. And so did my wife. (laughs) And this is what we call an anthropomorphism. All right, that's just a big fancy word. That means it's a way of speaking of God's power and God's work in the world with human terminology so that we can better understand it. It's an anthropomorphism. It, God doesn't literally have some arm sticking down out of heaven where he swats people. If he did, we would be praying for that more and more and more. And some of you would be praying for this at your Christmas dinner. <laughs> Lord send that strong arm and boop, right out the chair and right back to where they came from, right? Come on, this is a safe place, you can admit it. Okay, all right, anyway. All right, there's no strong, so, so, so what Mary's doing here, it's an anthropomorphic, it's a way of speaking at a human level, right, about the work of God in the world. And here's what she's saying, okay? Don't miss what she's saying. The Lord will do whatever the Lord wants to do. His strong arm, right, we understand. This isn't some arm literally coming out of heaven. His strong arm will work through whatever circumstances it has to work through to accomplish what he said he's gonna do. And I emphasize this, dear ones, because in our day, in our lives, there are moments where we question whether or not God's gonna do what he's promised he's gonna do. And I just think it's magnificent that carrying the Messiah in her womb, Mary understands, even though she won't be viewed as an underdog, and very few will be cheering her on. She's about to accomplish something historically great because God, despite even the doubters, despite the adverse circumstances, despite the enemies is gonna do what he's promised to do. And so here's here's where that gets us today. Wherever we are in life, wherever we've come from, Bengals and Bucks fans alike. God's mercy is for everyone and God's mercy is for each one, the lowly, the poor, the outcast, those who don't deserve it. Guess what? We're all in that boat and God's mercy is such that he gave us his son to redeem us from our sins so that we can have eternal life. And you don't have to come from royalty and you don't have to have some fancy degree and you don't have to be somebody in the eyes of everybody. Do you know that God loves you right where you are today, who you are today, he loves you unconditionally and he gave his son to die for your sin. And so let me just give you this word of hope today. God's mercy is the solution to your mess. His mercy is the solution to your mess. Wherever you are today, right now, whatever you're facing, right? Yes. Whatever you're going through. Whatever you go through tomorrow. Here's what we're seeing with Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph in this song of praise from Mary, reflecting on the strong arm of God to do what he's promised to do. His mercy is the solution to your mess. And he loves you enough and he loves you so much that he meets you in your mess to bring you out of it. Right? That's the hope that we have. This is what the Christian gospel is all about. Every other religion in the world is about you getting to God through your goodness. Christianity is the only religion in the world because it's the only truth in the world whereby God comes to us at his own expense. He's come through the person of his son who lived a sinless life and he went to the Roman cross and he didn't just endure their uh, piercing and their mocking. He on that cross endured the wrath of God for our sin. So that instead of us living with eternal torment, we can have eternal life because Jesus, when he endured the wrath of God and he died and he was buried three days later, he rose from the dead and he secured victory for all who believe. And today, 2000 years later, we're still talking about, you know why? Because his mercy endures forever. And just as Mary says, from generation to generation, from Abraham to David, to Jesus, we have hope. And I want you to know today, if you're here with us and you've never asked Jesus to save you, you've never asked him personally to forgive you of your sin. You've never acknowledged that, yeah, you are far from God. And yes, you cannot earn your way to God. And yes, there is no hope for eternal life on your own. But yet you believe you receive what Jesus has done for you in human history, through his miraculous conception and birth, through his sinless life and his substitutionary death and his bodily resurrection to right now, maybe even, maybe this morning to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you, to confess that he is Lord, to confess that he has risen from the dead and to commit to live for him all the days of your life. If you've never done that today is your day of salvation. You need to do just that. That's why Jesus came so that people like you and me could respond to this free offer of mercy. It's for people like Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's so that 2000 years after the birth of Jesus, we're still talking about, frankly, the ultimate underdog story of God using a bunch of nobodies to reach everybody. This is, this is the promise of our God. I urge you to put your faith in Jesus today. And if you're a Christ follower already and maybe you carried something in this room with you that's heavy or hard, or maybe you've got some stuff coming up you're worried about, hey, I mean just encourage you lovingly, just put your faith in a God whose strong arm will accomplish all that he has promised to you. He loves you. And even when our circumstances don't feel like that, We look to the incarnation, we look to the birth of Jesus as the ultimate evidence. Guess what? Yeah, God loves me because because he gave his son for me.